This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. Dear friends, we live in one reality. For millennia, we thought we lived in a material reality and also simultaneously a spiritual reality, and they were somehow all mixed together. But we know that can't be right. You might say, well, religions are based upon belief. Science is grounded in fact. But I'll show you, as I'm going to show you today, modern science is as much a belief system as any religion. Among the very few clear-eyed, fact-based objective seekers of the truth at this point, sad to say, are you and me. Fortunately, though, we do have sharing this journey with us a host of afterlife researchers and people in related fields who've been studying nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from people we used to think were dead and using what the dead tell us to examine critically the best evidence from both science and religions to at last begin to construct a single fact-based view of our one reality. Our guest today is again your host. The most surprising by far fact of my life is that after I've spent a whole lifetime of just trying for my own purposes to understand what's true about death, what's true about reality, and, and find all of this uncolored by anybody's particular beliefs or dogmas or anything. I just wanted the truth. After all that time and all that work, I find that the pursuit of the truth has led me onto this little bitty island of enormous truths in a muddled sea of confusing beliefs. There are others here, too. All over the world are thousands of researchers who've undertaken essentially the same search, trying to understand what the truth is without any belief-based gloss. I'm meeting more and more of them now, and it's thrilling because whenever I meet them, we complete each other's sentences, and now you're here. Thank you. If you're listening now, then you also are trying to figure out what actually is true. And I urge you to make that journey on your own. Let me help you. Let me direct you, but don't ever take anything I say as the truth. I'm not trying to build beliefs in you. I'm trying to open your mind and open your heart so you can finally, as a grown-up, know what's true. Today, among other things, I'm going to talk about what it's like to discover these truths and to be standing here with 7 billion fellow human beings watching this great parade of science and religion continuing to spread their beliefs-based nonsense. But we know that now the truth is available. It's available. There it is. We do not anymore have to settle for mere beliefs. So we're watching this mainstream science and mainstream Christian parade continue to parade its falsehoods before yet another generation of people trying to understand the truth. Now, I understand they're parading well-meant falsehoods, but they're parading, parading, I'm sorry, parading falsehoods all the same. 
We'll talk today about how it feels to be among so few people who know the truth in such a tremendous crowd of humanity, watching that parade of misinformation. And finally, you know the, the fable, the little, the little boy? Finally, like that little boy, we can't any longer resist shouting, can't you see it? Can't anybody else see it? Both of our emperors are stark raving naked. And they are. They mean well, but they are. I've spent my life studying the afterlife evidence, but it was only after I published The Fun of Dying and began to speak extensively on this topic and related topics that I began to do further research and I came to see with others, frankly, who were helping me on the journey that really I had learned much more than just the truth about death and the truth about our eternal natures and what happens after death. All of that's important. But beyond that, those of us doing this research have stumbled upon a whole new field of scientific inquiry that strongly affects most other scientific fields. My fellow afterlife researchers and I have discovered nothing less than the third wave of physics. Dear friends, all of reality is consciousness-based. The theory that finally will unite both Newtonian and quantum physics, that highly elusive theory of everything, is really just a third wave of physics, and it is going to be consciousness-based. Thomas Campbell is one of the people who has already been there. He, he wrote a book called My Big Toe, T-O-E, get it? Theory of Everything. In, and his My Big Toe is wonderful. I, I, uh, I had an astonishing experience, I believe it was in 2008 or 2009, uh, right after his book came out, of going to the University of Texas at Austin because he was going to be speaking there. And I was very curious, having just seen his book. And I sat and I listened to this eminent man, and he looks like what he is. He's a scholar beyond parallel. Hearing him expound exactly the same set of, of beliefs, of understandings, of, of theories I had come up with with regard to physics that I had independently come up with just by studying the afterlife evidence and related science. I, have, I, have, I never even took physics in high school. I didn't think of it as a physics at all. I just thought of it as trying to understand what reality is. And this eminent scholar going from the opposite direction, coming directly from physics, got to exactly the same place. What a validation that felt like for me. I was stunned by it. This really is going to be the third wave of physics. Your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I don't know how old you are at the moment, but however old you are, people who are your descendants are going to be learning this in grade school. Consciousness is all that exists. Since that's true, and since it's not hard to figure out, how on earth did we get into this mess where what we have and what we think that we need to trust is a science which is beliefs-based and not based in truth? Well, if you go back a couple of thousand years, Plato and Aristotle first divided reality between them. I'll study spiritual stuff, you study material stuff, and we won't get in each other's way, and kumbaya. I don't think it's their fault, though. Early in the 20th century, we had an opportunity to make these leaps of understanding. There were tremendous efforts being made by the dead then to give us proof of who and what they are and, and the fact that they're alive. Here they, there they are. They're right exactly where we are, by the way. And during that, that period, of, was this the same period that uh, Max Planck and his fellows were coming up with the theory of uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics. That was when we were supposed to learn these things. But the evidence being produced by the dead of their survival was so good that science wouldn't go near it. Uh, 
Instead, in order to keep physicists and other scientists, physics is the basic science, so especially physicists, from becoming curious about what the dead were saying, the universities, the, those who in forth, orthodoxy, the, the peer-reviewed journals, the peers came up with a new dogma, a new scientific dogma, and it was atheism. Now, to call atheism the fundamental dogma of science is to turn it into a religion. Anything with a dogma is a religion. So back about 110 years ago, and you could find, by the way, you can find the term in print, although not recently. They've become more sophisticated. They don't say it aloud. But they enforce atheism as their fundamental dogma. And it was about then that science started to go off the rails. They don't tell you that. In order to understand just how badly off the rails they are, you've, you've got to read popular science magazines, the best of which and the one I recommend is Scientific American. I also read Discover, but there are others, New Scientist, um, uh, there's a, uh, there are several that are very good. But I read Scientific American and Discover, and over and over, especially in Scientific American, these beautiful, well-meant, well-meaning, trying to help be helpful people who have been forced onto this little island of, of uh, belief by their ancestors, by their peers now, over and over you see them encountering brick walls and being confused and trying to understand. And very often when I'm reading Scientific American and reading these articles, I can come up with, with the answer. I mean, I'm not a physicist. All I can do is point them in a direction. Here's some fruitful information that might help you better understand what your problem is. But they are totally flummoxed. I could do a whole podcast just on all the stuff science is getting wrong now and beginning to understand, in some cases, 20, 30, 40 years after they started a theory that it just won't pan out. They're so desperate for atheism to be the right answer. They're so desperate for reality to be material. But fact is what we should be pursuing. This is not about what anybody believes. It's about what the truth is. So given the fact that they've been in the weeds for a century, why are they still so stubbornly wrong? Well, as wonderful, my wonderful hero, Max Planck, said, science advances by deaths. And uh, one of the problems, of course, they have is basic, uh, that uh, the older people really want their careers to be over before anything new and dramatic happens. Uh, therefore, there's resistance that's innate. However, there have been many generations of death since he said that, which was probably around the 1920s. So what else is going on? Well, first remember that this notion that it's possible for there to be two realities goes back to Plato and Aristotle, at least. Maybe it's earlier. People thought there was a spiritual reality, there were gods, and that was something to study. And they also thought that there was a material reality, and we could study that too, and somehow the twain would not mix. That made no sense then, and now it's ridiculous to even imagine it. But that's another reason. If this is an ingrained attitude. And remember, this is something big we're talking about. This isn't a little scientific refinement. We're talking about nothing else then a transformation of physics. And when physics is transformed, so then every other science must be transformed. It's very, very big. It's easy for them to see one tree or two trees or three, you know, maybe NDEs or out-of-body experiences or something, and when they see it, their instinct is to say, well, that tree doesn't fit there. I have to debunk it, and so they do. And that's another thing we could do a podcast about, all the foolish things that scientists do to try to debunk the truth. It's easy to see one or two or three trees, 
But if you aren't aware that those trees are sitting on the edge of this enormous forest, which encompasses not just those trees and not just a whole lot more trees there, but also every tree in the forest that we've always been inhabiting is included in that, in that, that giant forest that we are missing by seeing only one or two trees. They can't get that, scientists can't, and the reason they can't get it is they're not allowed to study it, any piece of it. Because I guess the worry is if they tugged on a thread, that might bring a whole lot of other information nobody wants to look at. I'm told that when someone starts a PhD program in physics, one of the first things he's told is, or she is told is, if you want to study any of these things, and they lay them out, don't go to, you know, there's no point in going to graduate school because you'll never find a job. Can't go there. Have to only stay over here. And these are people who tell us that they are scientists and they are studying the truth. We know now that they are not. They are studying, at this point, ways to preserve for a little bit longer the illusion that materiality is material and that what they've been spending their lifetimes on has not been a waste, as for many of it, it mostly is. If I'm a scientist... I want any big shift to happen after I've retired. Push it off a little longer. And you see that effort being made more and more pointedly when you read these popular science magazines. Of course, another problem is that physicists like to use a lot of math. I hate math, which was one reason I never took physics. But math seems to be a very important tool for the study of reality only on this level. Most of reality is entirely consciousness-based. I can see no evidence that math matters beyond this universe. And, and we could talk about why. I mean, in order for us to do what we need to do in this level of reality and, and learn our lessons here, the lessons we ourselves have set, we can't have our extremely powerful minds messing with things here. If our minds are so powerful, we know that by the things the dead are able to do with their minds in our reality. Our, our minds are so powerful, we wouldn't need to walk to the refrigerator. We could have our mind open it and bring us a Coke. Uh, we can't be able to do that, or we are not going to learn our lessons. So basically what they've done is to build the playpen using an artificial set of rules, and those rules are math-based. I had this insight many years ago when I was watching a um, some popular science. Back when I used to watch TV, I was watching this popular science program and a very young, very earnest physicist said uh, this or that could, was an equation and so on and so forth. He said because for some reason physics is, is based in mathematics. We can use mathematics to study real, uh, physics. Well, think about that. What is the for some reason? If there isn't any reason. Mathematics is actually, we know, an invented science. Why can we use it to study reality? We can use it to study reality simply because reality also is, the, the reality we think we see around us also is invented. The new paradigm that we've been studying does fit the old, though. And I'm going to give you just two quick examples of how. Physicists will tell you that they're studying 5% of reality. That's all. Actually, it's less than 5%. Everything they talk about is less than 5% of what they know exists. The rest of it is dark matter and dark energy, which basically are fudge numbers they've had to put into their equations in order to make uh, the, the expansion of the universe make sense, in order to make gravity work. What, all the things that they're doing require these fudge numbers, and they have them down to a, a very precise number. 27% of the universe is dark matter. 68% of the universe is 
dark energy. They call them dark only because they don't interact with photons of light. They will not interact with materiality. Because that's the case, they won't give off light and they won't reflect light. And darn it, they're dark. They're dark. We don't want to talk about them. So we're going to kind of ignore them and we're going to study this 5% and really get that nailed. Now, if you and I were trying to do our work that way, what would our bosses say to us? So let's help them from what we've come to understand. We know there are six levels of afterlife reality that exist exactly pretty much where we are. And six times five is 30, and 5% of the universe is this whole, uh, uh, is this whole, uh, all the material reality there is. So that ratio works out. It works out if the afterlife levels of reality are each as large as the universe and are in the same place. Works perfectly. Maybe that's what dark matter is. We know Occam's razor is that the simplest explanation that requires the fewest assumptions is probably the best explanation. We can tell them all about what's inside that dark matter if they care to, to look at it. It's spiritual based. It would not give off photons and it would not um, admit photons. So what about that 68%? Well, here's an interesting factoid which I've also learned from scouring Scientific American. 80%, 80% of the light that's in this material universe seems to have no source. They just figured that out. It's apparently just the local universe to us. They've just figured it out. They don't know why. Well, in, in point of fact, uh, it, it, and, all right, first let's back up a step and think of how, how it is they figured that out. Um, one scientist said it's like we've we're, we've always known that the light was there, but we didn't understand there were no photons related to it. It's like walking into a uh, a large barn or something and seeing that it's totally sealed but full of light and only two little light bulbs. Where's that light coming from? Well, when I was eight years old, I saw that light. It's spiritual light. It's much brighter than sunlight. And if that 68% of the universe that's dark energy is what I think it is, the source energy, then it would be perfectly sensible for it to be giving off no photon light. It all fits. I don't know if this explanation is right, by the way, but I think that it certainly fits. It's better than simply saying we're not going to look at it because it doesn't seem to be material, therefore it couldn't matter. Of course it matters. It exists every much, according to scientists, every much as, as well as the rest of the universe exists. So that's one example. I'm going to give the, uh, you the other one, but we're, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Our guest today is your host, who's really eager to share all this with you and very excited about it. So we'll be right back. Roberta Grimes spent decades reading more than 150 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead. The result is her book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. The Fun of Dying shows you why your mind is eternal. It explains how you can enjoy the death process, and it describes in detail the glorious forever that awaits us all. Now Roberta follows The Fun of Dying with The Fun of Staying in Touch. Learn how our dead loved ones give us spectacular signs of their survival. Learn about the wonderful ways that you can stay in contact with those you love. Go to robertagrimes.com for more information. 
it turns out that love really is eternal. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available for free on iTunes. I just checked statistics again, by the way. There are now more than 170,000 Seek Reality iTunes subscribers. Thank you. I love you. Thank you so much. Today we're talking about how it's possible for just a few people among the 7 billion odd on Earth to be right about reality, while most of the 7 billion people now living here are either still confused or claiming to be experts when in fact they are stubbornly wrong. How is that possible? Well, here's another example of how we could help scientists. You've probably heard about the Human Genome Project. The Human Genome Project announced its results in 2003 uh, following the study of the genomes of a number of lesser animals. And um, the lesser animals, in fact, even plants have turned out to have really big genomes. Now, the little I understand of genetics is that scientists claim that the the genes in your body have basically made you. That's the blueprint for making you, you, all of the chemicals in your body, size, shape, everything of your body that comes from your genome. Okay. Seeing that C. elegans, which is a little worm you almost can't see that they use a lot in experiments, has a 21,000 gene genome, you would think, therefore, and scientists speculated, the human genome must be 100,000 genes. He has to be big. Because think, we have minds, we are psychologically complex, there's so much about us. If, if the genome does it, it has to be very much bigger than that of a tiny worm you almost can't see. Then in 2003, they announced the results of the Human Genome Project. The human genome is 24,500 genes, is what they said. Everyone was stunned. You didn't see this as a headline in the New York Times because they didn't want to trumpet the fact that something big was off. They must be missing. Either they didn't understand genetics or they had made a terrible mistake with regard to the genome. And, uh, of course, the first thing we all knew was that that made sense because the brain does not generate the mind at all. The mind is received. The mind is not generated. But it gets better. In the summer of 2014, just a few months ago, they announced that they had refined the Human Genome Project, and the human genome contains 19,000 genes. That's 2,000 fewer than that tiny little worm that's almost you can't see, and it's transparent to boot. Of course, it has no mind at all. What does that tell us? It helps to confirm the fact which we learn from studying the afterlife evidence, which we learn in so many different ways. It helps to confirm the fact that our brains don't generate our minds. That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But scientists are just flummoxed. They don't seem able to understand that there is a whole new world. The tree or two that they've been trying to ignore or chop down if they could, they're part of the forest, and this forest is way bigger than anything they have ever, ever imagined. I used to say I blame Christianity less than I blame science for all this confusion, this deliberate confusion. After all, Christianity doesn't claim to be more than a belief system, does it? But I see now we can't let that predominant Western religion off the hook so easily. Christianity claims to have the truth about God and the afterlife. It has the truth about neither. It doesn't even have the truth about Jesus. 
Last week I spoke about the extensive ways in which the afterlife evidence validates the teachings of Jesus. I urge you to listen to that December 20, 2014 Seek Reality podcast on iTunes for more information if you haven't heard it. But for now, I'll just say that we can say for certain that every mainstream Christian denomination is wrong in what it says about not just death and the afterlife, but also the nature of God and the meaning and purpose of the life of Jesus. That's pretty big wrongness. Christianity is wrong. We can prove that now. And it's horribly wrong. Some Christian dogmas are flat out disgusting if you step back and look at them. People deserve better than that. More importantly, of course, Jesus deserves better. Jesus is way more important than a human sacrifice. Jesus is, I think, the most important individual who ever lived purely on his own. And God, the source, the eternal mind of which each of our minds is an integral part, God deserves at last to be loved without reservation, not to be feared, never to be feared again. Fear is the opposite of love. If you're God-fearing, you are not God-loving, and God is only love. God, God is, there's no evidence in all of human history that God has ever judged anyone. We've looked hard for it. We can't find it. There's no evidence in any of the, of the research we've done, and again, we've looked hard for this, that Jesus, the death of Jesus mattered at all, or that you have to be a Christian to get into heaven. None of it is true. So let's look at what's true because the truth about Jesus is way better than anything you ever learned in Sunday school. And I say that as someone who was about a devout Christian until I found I had to choose between Jesus and Christianity. I chose Jesus. I've never regretted it. So here we are on this little island where truth is king. Beliefs and traditions and hope are no comfort to us because we only want the truth. Fortunately for us, it turns out that the truth about reality is much more wonderful than our most optimistic imaginings that are based on either science or Christianity. We don't need either. Instead, what we need is to just understand what's true. Once we first get what's true, then we can use what's true to inform our spiritual life in ways much better and more profound than we ever could before. And we can use what's true to inform our science. Because yes, we need to try to understand the universe. We have to try to understand the reality in which we live, but we need to understand all of it. And in fact, it's spiritual in nature. It's not physical in nature. The truth that is going to inform both our spiritual lives and our scientific lives is glorious. Inevitably, it's going to come out. I don't know when. It could be next week. It could be in 10 years. It could be in 50 years. But it will come out in this century. And, wh- wh- and the, I think of it as a conspiracy. You know, I'm trying not to be paranoid. I, you th- I'm thinking of it as this great conspiracy between Christianity and science to keep the truth hidden because, frankly, hiding the truth suits both of them. But I'm, gonna, I'm trying hard not to be paranoid. Let's not think of it as as a conspiracy. Let's just think of it as a fear-based ignorance. Inevitably, that fear-based ignorance is going to crumble. It has to because there is so much good evidence coming out now about what's true. I mean, we have more and more people studying uh, the uh, the afterlife um, evidence from the viewpoint of from the viewpoint of near-death experiences, from the viewpoint of uh, afterlife communications, communicating through mediums, much better communication methods in use now than ever ever were in use before. So it's going to come out. 
it's going to become common knowledge. Everyone will look at one another either tomorrow or 50 years from now and say, we always knew this was true. Finally, now we can really say it and talk about it and think about it. But when that truth comes out, it is going to transform human cultures worldwide, every culture, in ways that are immense and profound. There will be nothing, I predict to you, that will be unchanged. It's going to transform every aspect of human life for the better. Let's talk a little bit about how that's going to happen. Your mind is eternal. You never began, you never will end. Your mind is part of the glorious, eternal mind that continuously brings forth the universe. We've talked quite a bit about that mind and what that mind does and how that mind works in other podcasts of Seek Reality. I think at some point before too long, I'm going to do a podcast just talking about what we know about eternal mind. I tend not to use the word God, and the reason I don't is that when I say God, you think immediately beard, judgment. It's, it's kind of a fearful image, this, this old crone of a man who is on a, on a throne and, and uh, is sending you nasty grams. That God does not exist. The God of human mythology, whether it's Judaic, Christian, whatever that mythology is, that negative, nasty image does not exist. In Christianity, we try to hold two uh, opposing ideas. One is that God is perfect love, which is true. The other is that God is going to judge us. I've had I've had uh, uh, friends who were Christians who and people who come to seminars that I've given who were Christians and were very troubled that this this comforting religion it turns out to be basically built on sand. The core belief that we need to have, that, that God is so nasty, he needed the sacrifice of his own child uh, in order to forgive us, that core belief is horrendous. So I ask people to do a thought experiment. All right, how many children do you have? Well, there's four. All right, they just messed up the living room. There they are sitting around the dining room table. Think of which one one of them you, you would most prefer to watch die horribly so you'd feel better about forgiving the others for messing up the living room. And when people recoil in horror at that, and they should recoil, when they recoil, I say, well, ask yourself this question. And I ask you, dear friends, ask yourself this question. How is it possible that you are more loving and more forgiving than God? not possible you're not god is perfect love that being the case we know without even having to think further that it's very unlikely that that old christian teaching is true it came from paul it didn't come from jesus it's nowhere in the gospels paul had a horrible thing happen he needed to wrap the disaster of having the messiah die he needed to wrap that disaster in, uh, in, in something that would make it make sense. And so he decided to wrap it in ancient Hebrew prophecy and in current Hebrew practices because they were still sacrificing in the temples. And when he did, it made sense to him. Perfect sense, and he was right, and it was wonderful. It made sense then, but it should make sense to nobody now. We don't need that anymore, dear wonderful friends. We are able to learn the truth for ourselves, and that truth doesn't just contain God, is God. If your notion of God is infinite love beyond your ability to comprehend it, let me tell you now, there is nothing else whatsoever that actually exists. That's all that exists. 
Our minds are part of God, so our minds also exist. Everything else is illusion. Well, illusion, what do you want to call it, is, is a thought in the mind of God. Our minds are part of that, though. Your mind predates the universe. Your mind goes on eternally. You, your mind is eternal. Don't think of yourself as immortal. You're eternal. Now, this is something which is not my idea. It actually, it's Max Planck, who got the 1918 Nobel Prize for the, as the father of quantum physics, was one of the first who, to, to say this. In 1931, he said, and he's talking about human consciousness here, in 1931, he said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. In 1944, he said, as a, as a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about atoms this much. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of an atom together. We must assume behind, behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Exactly, exactly right. He was right. This is one of the most brilliant people who ever lived, Max Planck. By the way, um, I call him Max Planck because I used to call him Max Planck until physicists said, no, it's Max Planck. So I said, okay, uh, I'll call it him Max Planck because then I'm always half right. I don't know which it is, so I'm assuming I'm half right every time I say his name. What he should have been gotten the Nobel Prize for is the greatest discovery of this or any other century, or of the 20th for sure, of any century. Human consciousness is primary and pre-existing. Primary and pre-existing. You are primary and you pre-exist the universe. He discovered that. That's the biggest news anybody could ever possibly find. I'm going to take a, big, a little quick break again. Um, this is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. You are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really grasp all the implications of that fact, it's going to change everything in your life. Our guest today is your host, sort of lazily and, and coming off just the top of my mind. I hope you don't mind my doing it, but I'm having a lot of fun today. We'll be right back. Afterlife researcher Victor Zamet has long been a leader in the field of helping us understand what is going on. Like Roberta Grimes, Victor is an attorney. Like her, he was dissatisfied with the scientific and religious explanations of reality. So he did what lawyers do. He examined the evidence. And when he drew the same set of conclusions that every open-minded researcher has drawn, he began to educate the world. Roberta considers the free Friday Afterlife report that Victor and Wendy Zamet produce to be indispensable access to fresh information about our one reality. Go to victorzamet.com and sign up to receive their wonderful Friday Afterlife report. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-Z-A-M-M-I-T dot com. It's the best news you'll read all week. 
Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Today we're going to, we're talking about, and we're nearly finished actually, I hate to say it, talking about how we can continue together to learn what reality actually is. How we can lead mainstream science to begin to venture beyond its belief-based dogmas, go back to fearlessly studying reality as it actually is. And then finally, what I'm going to talk about now, which is, what's it all going to mean? It's impossible to keep the truth suppressed forever. Inevitably, the truth is going to win. As I said earlier, what seems to be the case and seems to have been the case for a hundred years is that scientists are trying, many of them have figured out that this is probably right, although, as I say, they're just seeing a few trees. They don't understand the immensity of the forest those trees are part of. But they're trying to, to sort of keep their fingers in whatever that dike is that holds back the truth for a little bit longer till they can retire. Because this is a whole new paradigm. This is as big as when Sir Isaac Newton discovered that an apple was falling on his head. There had to be a reason. And I'm sorry to simplify it that much. All, all physicists listening, if they're already are wincing. This is as big a shift as when Max Planck and, and the others formulated the theory of quantum physics and discovered that inevitably, mathematically, in every other way, this proved to be true. In fact, quantum physics is one of the bases, bases of a lot of the physics of the 20th century, and yet it doesn't fit with Newtonian physics, and it, Einstein said he hated it. <laughs> he hated the very thought of it. By the way, uh, if, if Max Planck was one of the greatest men of, of, of all time, I would say that Albert Einstein's up right up there with him. These, I, I admire them more than I can possibly tell you. And they were fearlessly exploring the truth, unlike many of their successors. So let's talk then about what it's going to mean when this all comes plain. When, when it becomes obvious what's going on. As Mahatma Gandhi said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And we're, we're past the ignore stage. We're probably somewhere between laugh and fight because for, for most of the 20th century, they found themselves able to laugh at this in information, this priceless, priceless information. They're in the fighting stage, and they're doing that by spreading disinformation. Uh, the disinformation that they're, that they're spreading comes at us from sources we usually trust. For example, Wikipedia. Trust Wikipedia on nothing that in any way relates to this third wave of physics, to the afterlife, to the new paradigm, to anything. Just don't trust them. I'm sorry, I love Wikipedia for most things, but they're spreading disinformation. They've, they've decided uh, that they're going to adopt uh, atheism as their fundamental dogma as well. And again, anything with a dogma is a belief system. You can't trust it anymore. But inevitably, the truth is going to come out, and it seems that this is a bottom-up revolution. I've been talking about these, these subjects for the past four years, in the beginning, in say 2010, 2011, I would be talking to a group of people, up to several hundred in some cases, and I would see all these blank faces. I would get strange and, and erroneous, irrelevant kind of questions. Clearly people, I was, tell, I was telling people things that not only they had never heard before, but that flummoxed them, that they didn't understand even how to begin to approach. I just got back from a wonderful trip to Seattle, uh, where I, I did a, a presentation and then a workshop 
everybody in the presentation and the workshop was nodding, smiling. And this has been true really since 2012. I don't associate that with the Mayan calendar at all. But it's, it's been, a, it was about then that we began to see more and more people coming to understand what's true coming to understand that this information is real, it's important, and frankly, taking up the study of it on their own. In the back of each of my books about this subject is an appendix that includes first four short things, to four, just four books, to read if you kind of don't have a lot of time, and then 70-odd other books, which if you have time, um, I've listed them by topic, I've annotated them, I've said what I liked, what I didn't like about them. You can spend your life, if you like, just making this a, a topic of, of reading pleasure because there is so much information and it is so good at this point um, that, that there you are. It's something that you really can spend time at and can spend time enjoying doing. So the information is spreading and it's spreading fast. More and more, it's a worldwide effort. Um, the Zamets in Australia, I know people now in uh, the United Kingdom and other parts of the world who are working on this and doing a beautiful job of it. So it certainly won't be long before we can say that this is truly a worldwide elevation of consciousness that's happening. As it happens, more and more of the truth is going to leak into the media. And again, first, remember, they ignore, they laugh, they fight. We're in the fight stage right now. So you're going to see a lot of, of attempts to debunk these truths. Ignore them. Do the investigation yourself. Trust nothing the media says to you as true until you yourself has verified it. I'm one of the biggest skeptics you'll ever meet. I'm very careful with what I believe because uh, I'm trying to understand what's true, and I don't want anybody's beliefs to color that. I don't want any um, you know, later channeled being. I, none of it. I, I just want to know what the truth is. So, so as I study the truth more and more, I'm coming to understand that it, it hangs together of a piece. It's a whole. So this is going to happen. It's up to spirit when and how it does. But what's going to happen then? Every person is going to understand or come to understand that his or her life is eternal. When your life is eternal, you live it differently. Would you like to see peace on earth? There are lots of reasons why spreading these truths is the easiest way for us to achieve a permanent, loving peace on earth. Do you wish people were less selfish, less materialistic, more loving? You wish you could, your, your mother-in-law were nicer to you? What are your own dearest hopes for the brightest possible future? Whatever your hopes are, spreading the truth about what human nature actually is, what God actually is, what reality actually is, spreading those three truths is likely to be the surest way for us to build whatever brighter future is in your heart, starting today. So I urge you in the strongest terms, please help those of us who are already working to spread the truth. Learn the, learn the truth for yourself. Don't parrot us. But then share it with everybody you know. If you're listening now, I'm sure you have a part in this work to play. Just ask God what it is and God will give you the answer. Maybe one of the best reasons to do this work is that knowing the truth makes you happy. It makes you happy. We're, we were raised in a culture that sort of considers human nature to be base and human existence to be tragic. Life sucks, then you die. 
that's what science is telling us. Now, the, we, we could make it a better life sucks than you die experience for, for people who come after us if we want to, but we can't help the fact life sucks than you die. That's where we are now. Once we understand the truth about reality, and I say this in one of my books, I think it's the fun of dying, it turns that into life being just a joyous afternoon romp under the eyes of the ultimate parent who very soon is going to call us in for milk and cookies and hugs forevermore. That's what life is. And everybody who studies these truths and comes to understand that that's what life is, is really, really happy. We bubble with the joy of what we're learning. It's a splendid, splendid time to be alive and to have a part to play in all of this. This began for me, I should just add, and we're coming close to the end of our time, but I, this all started for me when I began in April of 2009 to say, thank you for giving me work to do. Thank you for showing me how to do it. I gave my life to God. I pray in gratitude affirmations. I don't pray from lack. Don't say, you know, please give me a new uh, car because you're saying, I don't have a car. I need one. I know I have a role to play and so do you. And so I urge you to play, pray that prayer. Thank you for giving me this work and just show me how to do it. That was when a couple of months later, I started without even knowing I was going to write a book. I started writing The Fun of Dying and everything that's happened in my life since has come from the fact that I still pray that prayer. So you have some exciting learning ahead. One way for you to begin to learn more about our one reality would be to attend one of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies conferences. Come to Durham in North Carolina on June 11th to 14th, 2015. The topics there will include the afterlife and death and related studies, but also speakers on the nature of consciousness. It's going to be fascinating. September 25th to 27th, 2015, we're going back to Scottsdale. The July conference this year was just the best you could possibly imagine. And this one, we're we're absolutely, it's going to blow the doors off the last one. We're going to have uh, speakers on every stage of the death process. In fact, it's called Life in the Afterlife. Uh, and and we're, we're taking it literally. We have some of the best speakers on the planet on the topics that, uh, starting with life planning, right, you know, starting your life, getting through your life, what happens at death, what happens after death, what happens to children, what happens to suicides, all of this from the viewpoint of people who are experts in the field. And we expect to have David Thompson there. David Thompson is one of, you could count them on fewer than all the fingers of one hand, one of the, the best mature physical mediums in existence right now. Uh, and, and Victor Zamet, who wrote the foreword to the new The Fun of Dying and who, frankly, is one of my biggest heroes, uh, he's confident that David and a few other materialization mediums are going to be the ones who are going to break the news that uh, mainstream science is not going to be able to ignore um, it, simply the fact that our lives are eternal. What a materialization medium does is to produce first go into deep trance, be tied up, gagged, there's no way he could do anything. His body produces a substance which when the people who that he brings through into the sands room, when they walk through this substance, it lowers their vibratory rate enough that they become physical again. It's like being hugged by your real dad 
when your dad comes through in one of these seances and hugs you. It's people who have been, I, I can't wait, I'm going to definitely be in at least one of the ones in Scottsdale in September of next year, but uh, people who have been to these materialization sessions, especially with David, say that it, it's impossible to walk out the door and still believe it's not real. It is so profoundly real, and it's life-transforming. So that's something to to think about. If you go to ASCSI.org, that's ASCSI.org, you can get information about all of this, all the things that uh, um, I've been talking about here. We'll be on display at these conferences, and uh, as I think you'll see, um, the... Certainly for Scottsdale, we have $90 a night rooms, and Arizona in September is a beautiful place to be. So if that's another reason to come. Again, ASCSI.org for more information. I'll be at both conferences. And I, if, you've, if you've listened to these podcasts, will you please uh, just let me know that you're there? Um, there were a number of people who, had, who were listeners who came in July, and I just... There were, there were, let's just say there were a lot of hugs involved, but I loved hearing people's stories. Uh, people talked about w- their experiences, how they came to want to understand all of this. Uh, in some cases, uh, the people who came to the conference were deep in grief, uh, but it, they, would, they said to me afterwards, a number of them, that this really transformed their, their beliefs about so many things and, and opened their hearts and eased their grief and made them able to go out uh, from the conference uh, as much happier people. And that's really the whole only point for anyone to put on any kind of conference is, is, to, is to spread that kind of truth. One woman who became a friend of mine um, had come all the way from New Zealand, New Zealand, far away from Scottsdale, Arizona. She said to me as she came out of the first session that she had attended i don't even remember who the presenter was she said that all by itself was worth the trip and i said whoa if you feel that way just hang around and and wait you see what will happen um she's now working to spread these truths in new zealand which is a wonderful thing again ascsi.org for more information i'm roberta grimes My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, which was issued in 2010, and it came out with updated appendices and uh, Victor's Hemet Forward, which I would have republished it just for that. It came out this year again. The Fun of Staying in Touch was published this fall. It explores the many ways in which our dead loved ones give us signs of their survival and also some exciting ways we can contact them. And you're this is this is where I think Victor says it will be, ter- be materialization mediums. I think it's the work that some of the pioneers in this field are doing on, on the soul phone that will make it impossible for science any, any longer to ignore the truth. But anyway, I talk about it um, in the fun of staying in touch. If you're really interested in this field, um, there's, there's a book, Afterlife Communication, which is on Amazon, was put together by the participants, the speakers, at the uh, 20... Uh, 14 conference in Scottsdale. It's a wonderful book. We've gotten great feedback on it, and that's also available on Amazon. Or go to robertagrimes.com, and it's the top row right book, Afterlife Communication. I also write novels. This is a disease, I think. I've, I've, I've written all my life. I had a poor experience when my Thomas was first published by Doubleday in uh, 20, no, 19. What was it? It was like ancient history now. 
1993, uh, they published my Thomas. The book was orphaned by Doubleday, and as a result, which means that your editor leaves, and basically nobody then cares about your book. I didn't write fiction for 20 years. I said, I'm not going to go in that lottery. But now I discovered when The Fun of Dying came out, you don't need that lottery anymore. So now Writer's Block for me has become Writer's Flood. My Thomas is, is republished from that 1993 edition. It's the story of the American Revolution from the perspective of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. People who've read it have raved to me about it. This is the best thing I'll ever write. My letters from love are, frankly, where, I'm, where I am now, and I'm having so much fun with them. They follow three generations of a wealthy family and explore how you and I and all of us can use what we're learning from the dead about what human beings really are to begin to make human life finally work. There are going to be seven, and there may be eight or nine of these novels, but there will be at least seven. And you can learn more about those also at robertagrimes.com. And if if you give your email address in it at robertagrimes.com, I promise I won't share it. And I'm about to start doing regular newsletters and things. You can always opt out if you decide later you don't want them. But I'd love to have you be in that loop if, if you'll just leave us your address at robertagrimes.com. Now, beginning on January 5th, I'm going to be podcasting weekly at webtalkradio.net. Webtalk Radio has a broad range of hosts on many topics, and my hope is that from that perch we'll be able to reach more people who still have no clue about what actually is going on, and they still are being led away from the truth by the people they most trust. It's going to be harder to reach them there than it is when I'm part of this wonderful community of people who are already seekers, but I believe I've got to try. I am so grateful to everyone at ctrnetwork.com and especially to its president, Cameron Steele, who's my dear friend. So much love, so much support over the past year and a half, I cannot begin to tell you. They, they took a neophyte and they made her into someone who loves doing this. If you ever lose track of where I am podcasting, you can always go again to robertagrimes.com and click on the podcast button. But for now, please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.